so Mays. Thank you so much for joining us. We have plenty to talk about on this Tuesday, December 13th. We want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. We are honored to stand right here behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across Black America and the stories that impact our people. That's right. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So, topping today's headlines, a California man is in police custody for assault and accused of shooting a black man who was renting an Airbnb as he was walking to the grocery store. 56-year-old Mark Waters, who is white, has been charged with felony assault with a semi-automatic firearm resulting in great bodily injury and personal use of a firearm. Prosecutors say the 21-year-old victim had left his Airbnb rental to walk to a nearby grocery store. That's when he crossed the street. He saw Waters exit a home and quickly approached him while holding a black handgun. Now the victim is recovering with serious injuries to his leg. Further charges may come as law enforcement is investigating potential hate crime allegations. A family is mourning after a 17 year old teen from New York died while swimming in Cocoa Beach, Florida. According to reports, Danielle Marceline was vacationing with her best friend, Mary Doyle, her mother, Christine, Marceline and a family friend. Now, Danielle's mother said that they had gone on vacation after her daughter missed several months of school due to anxiety and changing schools because of COVID-19. They also wanted to boost the spirits of a family friend who had lost her son in March and her husband in October. Danielle planned the trip by herself, which was also to celebrate her 18th birthday. Now, according to Cocoa Beach Police Department, Danielle was swept away by the strong ocean current. Officers responded to a 911 call after a bystander called about two females in distress. Brevard County lifeguards were able to save Mary, but Danielle was pushed further out to sea. A GoFundMe was set up to help with funeral expenses and has raised more than $37,000 so far. Our prayers and thoughts with that family. Okay, to Kentucky now, where Breonna Taylor's boyfriend is settling two lawsuits against the city of Louisville in connection to Taylor's death. Attorneys for Kenneth Walker say the city agreed to pay $2 million to settle the lawsuits. In March of 2020, police knocked down Taylor's door the night of the deadly raid, and Walker fired a shot from a handgun, striking one of the officers. Walker was charged with attempted murder, but that charge was later dropped. A South Florida jury is taking the side of a white Florida police officer accused of shoving a kneeling black woman to the ground during a protest more than two years ago. Jurors acquitted 31-year-old Fort Lauderdale officer Stephen Ferenc of a battery charge. The jury was made up of three men, two of whom were black and three women. The misdemeanor was punishable by up to a year in jail. Now, prosecutors said that Florence shoved a then 19-year-old protester out of frustration during a Black Lives Matter demonstration, which was an unnecessary and criminal overreaction. Florence had been placed on administrative leave without pay after being charged. Now, it was not immediately clear if or when he would return to work. Okay, let's go to Texas. Our all eyes are on the white officer who shot and killed Atatiana Jefferson. As he told the court, he wanted to take the stand and lawyers did not let up when it came to getting answers for what exactly happened the night Jefferson was murdered. As I looked through that window, low in the window, I observed a person 
couldn't tell black, white, male, female. He testified that what looked like the silhouette of a person was very close to the window. I saw the silhouette again, and I was shouting at this time, shouting commands. Uh, put up your hands. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. And as I started to get that second phrase out, show me your hands, I saw the silhouette. I was looking right down the barrel of a gun. And when I saw the barrel of that gun pointed at me, and I fired a single shot from my duty weapon, uh, when my vision cleared, then I observed the person that we now know as Miss Jefferson. I heard her scream and, and saw her fall like this. And I, I knew that, that I'd shot that person. He added that police are not trained to wait when presented with deadly force. Then during an aggressive cross-examination, prosecutor Dale Smith took his own chronological approach to Dean's steps that night, but grilled him about several moments where he says Dean failed to follow his police training. How smart is it to take a shot at a target without knowing what's behind the target? It's not. You're trained against that, aren't you? Yes. Smith, referring to Dean's testimony that he thought a burglary was in progress, questioned Dean about his next move. You tried to open the window to get inside a house where you didn't know where unknown assailants could be hiding that could be armed. Is that what you're telling this jury? Yes. That's your sworn test. Is that good police work? No. Good police work, something Smith got Dean to admit repeatedly he was lacking in his actions from that night. Smith pointed out that Dean never told his partner anything about a gun until after they were inside of the home and saw the weapon, and that he also let Officer Darch go inside of the home while Dean again said he thought a burglary could be in progress that could have included others with weapons in the home. Did you tell her there was a gun? I did not. Is that good police work? No. That's more bad police work, is it? Yes. And you didn't announce your presence with Fort PD, did you? You just used your flashlight, correct? No, I just used my flashlight. And whoever was in that house had no idea, did they? I don't know. Macy Jenkins, Fox 4 News. Prosecutors argue that Dean's decision against announcing his presence as Fort Worth police contradicts his decision to use a flashlight, which could have been seen by anyone in that house. And we see this officer on the stand here. Of course, his team probably puts him on there to maybe show some remorse or to gain uh, some sympathy. I think the question is, does he come off sincere? Uh, but when you double back and see how the prosecutor went in on him, it kind of dismantled whatever maybe strategy uh, his defense was trying to put forth by actually putting him on the stand. I don't know if that was going to you know, work in his favor. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he definitely uh, came across as, as a sympathetic uh, character, at least in the clip that we just saw. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, what's even more noteworthy is that police training is on trial here, mm. um, which is something that we don't often see. Uh, you know, the fact that you got a police officer to admit that that was not good police work, um, that, that that was not consistent, you know, with uh, the police training. That's you know, that, shocking. You know, that, you know, should, uh, you know, make pr preservation of life the top mm -hmm. priority. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I think that's a pretty stunning admission. Yeah, and we want to remember, uh, we told you about this uh, when that story first broke about the 200 uh, prospective jurors in the Louisville area who showed up, and uh, the 12 uh, jurors, including the alternates, uh, none of them are black. So that's another uh, factor to keep in mind as this uh, trial rolls on, and we'll definitely keep you posted on it. All right, the New York mayor of, the new mayor of LA is declaring a state of emergency on homelessness. She is getting to work. I'm talking Karen Bass, mayor. Bass says there are more than 40,000 unhoused people in that city. She is also setting up an office of community safety uh, to help come up with solutions to help people get off the streets. Mayor Bass says the emergency declaration will help free up resources to begin immediately addressing the issue. From LA to Virginia, where Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has set a special election to fill the fourth congressional district seat of the late Democratic representative, Donald McEachin. As the field of candidates seeking the post grew this week, many are wondering if a black person will take the spot. One brother who is making a run for this position is Delegate Lamont Bagby, who chairs the powerful Legislative Black Caucus. Now, Bagby says, quotes, I hope that this run not only shows individuals that a young boy from Essex Village can make it, but also a young boy from Essex Village can lead and lead with a heart, a heart like Donald McEachin had. All right, let's check in with the Republicans out of Texas as they are laying the groundwork to move quickly on a number of new changes to the state's voting laws, including a proposal to create an election police force like the one in Florida enacted before the 2022 midterms. GOP, GOP legislators had already pre-filed, uh, pre-filed rather, 20 bills in the Texas House and Senate. One is the Republican uh, authored Texas bills such as HB 549 and SB 220 that proposed creating a system of state election marshals who would investigate allegations of violations of election and voting laws and file criminal charges when warranted. Now, the proposals have alarmed voting rights activists and state Democrats who tried and failed last year to block a GOP-backed overhaul of election laws. Black Americans living in Phoenix are sounding the alarm, saying that for black parents, child welfare investigations are a constant threat. Nadia Richards decided to move her family to Arizona in search of lower crime and better weather than in her hometown of Milwaukee. As a black mother, she says she's more concerned about her kids encountering the police someday, but instead had to deal with CPS being in her life as well. Within months, she found herself being investigated by the Arizona Department of Child Safety based on the initial results of a drug test administered to her newborn daughter at the hospital. DCS then prohibited her from being alone with her baby for five days while a caseworker interrogated her about her marital status and whether she received food stamps and how she usually handles stress. An internal investigation is underway. And from Arizona to Atlanta, you may have seen the story across social media as several Atlanta labor and delivery nurses are out of a job after a viral TikTok video. Nurses at Emory University Hospital came under fire after sharing their icks, which are basically dislikes when it comes to their patients and their families. Social media challenge, which encourages TikTokers to tattle their turnoffs, has led to an investigation and terminations at Emory University Hospital Midtown. In the minute-long video, multiple labor and delivery nurses shared their icks, complaining about various behaviors from patients.
My ick is when you come in for your induction talking about, can I take a shower or eat? One nurse says my ick is when you ask how much the baby weighs and it's still in your hands. Another nurse says Emory released this statement yesterday saying, quote, this video does not represent our commitment to patient and family centered care and falls far short of the values and standards that we expect every member of our team to hold and demonstrate. They went on to say they investigated and have taken appropriate action with former employees responsible for the video. It was viewed more than 100,000 times before being deleted on the social media platform, but other users shared reactions to it online. I see these comments talking about their feelings and they're valid, one TikToker pointed out. But as a patient, you're already nervous. This is a huge milestone in your life. And imagine saying these things with women at the most vulnerable moment in our lives. Another emphasized. Now, the original post of the video has been removed, but it is still circulating online as folks are still talking about this and debating this. And Nicole, I think this actually comes down to policy. And, you know, listen, you know, they're, they're talking about did they violate any HIPAA laws or anything like that now? I think the only issue that that I take up with these were their opinions is it looks like they were on the clock, definitely in uniform, definitely, you know, on the job, definitely at work. And so I think that might be some of the basis as to why I'm suspecting that that be some of the basis as to why Emory took the actions that they did. I know a lot of TikTokers and other folks across social media were saying, why not just reprimand them? Why not just suspend them? I think it's because not only what they said, maybe, but more so where they said it. Uh, looked like uh, office hours to me. Yeah, yeah, and to your point, I mean, you know, personal identifiable information. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's gonna play a major factor in the extent to which they're disciplined or mm -hmm. maybe even dismissed. Um, you know, there's a reason why the HIPAA laws are in place mm -hmm. uh, to keep folks safe and, you know, it's also just in poor taste. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is mm -hmm. oversharing gone bad. Let's call it what it is. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we, we can't uh, expect our nurses to, uh, exercise some discernment mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know hold back from sharing information about about patients you know everybody in every job you know has their gripes um, but I think when those gripes uh, make their way to social media especially when you're on the front lines as uh, have been nurses mm -hmm. uh, for certainly the past couple years in some unprecedented ways um, it really begins to erode the trust between uh, patients and healthcare professionals and so I hope uh, Emory acts swiftly and decisively uh, before you know this thing you know whips out of control yeah and and with them you know reportedly being uh, fired a lot of people across social media were saying hey they're nurses there's a huge need they'll be employed you know before you know it I, you know there has been talk that maybe uh, this might affect their licensing mm -hmm. which would definitely affect any future employment so we'll have to keep our eye on this and just you know use your head uh, and uh, just keep your comments maybe off of social media, yeah. especially not at work. Just for be sure. mindful of oversharing, right. especially when it relates to other people. That's right. And you haven't asked their permission. That's right. That's right. Well, still ahead, the latest in the search for the shooter who killed a mm. beloved postal worker. We'll tell you how many in the community are honoring his legacy when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
Welcome back. Just a heartbreaking story out of Milwaukee as police are still looking for whoever killed postal worker Andre Cross. Police are looking for a silver Audi Q5 SUV with tinted windows. That's right. There's a $50,000 reward in the case. Fox 6 is Bill Minston with more on how his death is impacting the community. The noodles on. In the back of Papa C's food market near 50th and Hampton. It should not take a death, you know. It should be an everyday thing to give back. Mercedes Brown is in her kitchen. But she and her mother are prepping meals. Lasagna, salad, and garlic bread. Along with some sweets packaged with love for letter carriers and all the work they do. He was loving his job more than anything. Brown didn't know Cross, but saw the outpouring of love for him. She says she saw a kindred spirit in his passion for his job. I just looked at that like someone took a good person away. And so it just made me want to give back even more. So hopefully whoever done this, justice will take care of itself. So we don't deserve this as a family. Cross was remembered over the weekend being full of life. A father, son, uncle, and friend. Police say Cross was working near 65th and Stark at around 6 p.m. Friday. Surveillance video from a nearby home shows a silver Audi Q5 SUV pull up in the alley behind homes east of 65th. A person gets out and walks out of frame. 30 seconds later, the car engine starts and lights turn on. There's a yell, quickly followed by a gunshot. Then the person runs back to the waiting SUV, which starts to drive forward. The Postal Inspection Service is offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the people responsible. The person who murdered him, um, they took somebody from this world, not just the post office, but this world who, who truly exemplifies what um, a human being should be. Yeah, that's a lot of G. Back in the kitchen, Brown hopes her way of paying it forward catches on but says it shouldn't take this kind of loss to get it started. Andre Cross uh, worked for the United States Postal Service for over 15 years. And kudos to that young lady, uh, you know, putting her efforts forward to, uh, you know, help that community heal and uh, really continue to come together over this uh, tragic loss. And it just really speaks to, you know, how our lives have to matter to each other. Taking a look at that video in the piece, it, it appears to be a, a black suspect. We know that the victim is black. And, and before, you know, we can matter to anybody else or want other people to, for us to matter, we have to matter to ourselves. And I just, I just don't get it. If you're a part of a, if you live in a community, if you're part of a village, you live on a block, you know, what you do affects other people. It brings to mind the Uber story from, from yesterday where the Uber driver, black male, just woke up and decided he wanted to kill somebody, he killed a passenger who happened to work for the police department, uh, a single uh, only child who was taking care of her mother, a breast cancer survivor. So the ripple effects when we decide to do these heinous things are far reaching. And I just, it, it just, it, it just, it, it leaves me speechless. It's just so heartbreaking to yeah. see that family suffering like this. You're absolutely right. And it's just it's another demonstration of the epidemic of gun violence mm -hmm. that we see in this country. We report on stories related to the gun violence epidemic almost every day. Mm -hmm. um, and as you can see, nobody's safe, whether you are, you know, at a nightclub in Colorado or you're delivering the mail, as mm -hmm. we just saw here. And so um, just another uh, example, another example of the senseless gun violence that exists in our country in part because guns are just so widely available. Yeah.
now um, uh, on to the next story where police are warning that the, they're warning the public amid a spike in violent bank jugging robberies across Southern California as the holidays approach. Just in case you don't know, bank jugging involves thieves staking out potential victims in bank parking lots and then following them to their next destination to rob them. Police say these types of violent robberies, both bank jugging and follow home robberies, are becoming increasingly common. Tips to avoid being targeted after visiting the bank include concealing bank slip envelopes inside a bag when exiting the bank and taking any valuables with you inside your destination instead of leaving or hiding them in your car. Let's be safe out there, especially this holiday season. All right, concerns are growing nationwide for rapidly increasing cases of what health officials have deemed a triple-demic, the flu, RSV, and of course, COVID-19. And the CDC is once again urging us soulmates to wear fast, uh, face masks indoors. In California, more than 10 uh, counties, including uh, Los Angeles and San Bernardino, are now in the, quote, high tier. The Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island are in orange, meaning high risk levels, while Manhattan is in yellow, the medium risk level. This is according to the latest CDC data. As the Christmas and New Year approaches, uh, when families are expected to gather across the country, health officials fear that could put a significant strain on our health care system if people don't take the proper precautions. The Supreme Court on Monday agreed to hear a second legal clash over President Biden's ambitious student debt relief plan that's currently blocked by lower courts. This case stems from a legal challenge brought by individual borrowers who argued that the debt relief program's enactment was procedurally improper. A Texas-based federal judge last month invalidated the program, and a New Orleans-based federal appeals court let that ruling stand, prompting the administration's appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the White House says its policy is authorized by a, 2000, by a 2003 uh, federal law known as the Higher Education Relief Opportunities Act, uh, uh, which both the Trump and Biden administrations have drawn upon to alleviate student borrowers' financial strain during the global pandemic. And sticking with student financing for a moment, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation launched a new relief fund Monday aimed at black college students, alumni, and dropouts overburdened by mounting education costs and the student loan debt crisis. Now, the foundation said it set aside $500,000 for the fund and plans to award more than 500 recipients with relief payments ranging from $750 to $4,500. A public uh, application process for the fund opened on Monday and recipients will receive their money in January if you are selected. In a second phase of the fund, the BLM Foundation said it will give micro grants of $750 to relief fund applicants who are currently attending HBCUs to help with uh, housing, food, technology, books, and transportation. Transportation costs. Speaking of technology, Twitter on Monday night abruptly dissolved its Trust and Safety Council, the latest sign that Elon Musk is unraveling years of work and in institutions created to make the social network safer and more civil. In less than two months, Musk has undone years of investments in trust and safety at Twitter, dismissing key parts of the workforce and bringing back accounts that previously had been suspended. 
As the body unravels, Musk is tightening his grip on decisions about the future of content moderation at Twitter with less input from outside experts. Twitter first formed the Trust and Safety Council in 2016 as social networks were coming under greater scrutiny for their role in amplifying hate, terrorism, child exploitation, and other problematic content online. You know, I know as an anchor, it's, it's a bit of a cop-out to say, I'm over it, and then keep it moving, but I really am. And I think as a, as a culture, as a community, as, as people who, who really take to, to Twitter, I'm talking to a black Twitter in particular, I think we have to start, if not already, thinking about where we're gonna go to continue to communicate and continue to, to talk about what we talk about and stress what we stress on this particular platform because I think it is slowly, uh, if not quickly, um, imploding. I think, I believe that, you know, Elon Musk is, is pretty reckless uh, and I, I just don't trust it. And I think we're just going to have to figure out where, where we're going to go because I think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think, and there are people that are beginning to sort of, you know, vote with their feet and I say vote with their thumbs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going to platforms like Fanbase or, you know, they're retreating to Facebook, you yeah. know, they're, they're doubling down on Instagram and so many other mm -hmm. platforms out there um, and you know I think time will tell listen there was a time when MySpace was hot yes until it wasn't uh, and <laughs> Black Planet and, and remember th Black Planet there was a time when Black Planet was th <laughs> the place to be right uh, yeah. and so and so who knows who knows you know what the next hot uh, social media site's gonna be Don't but those counts Accounts still exist. Can you go? Can you still I go to your MySpace think, or your Black? Planet? I think I have my MySpace oh, account still up. I would be horrified. I to can't see remember what my I password. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can bring them back. Were you on Black Planet? <laughs> Coming up, the fight against food insecurity in the Black community. That's right. We'll show you what one man is doing to provide healthy options for his neighborhood. You stay right there. You're watching Fox Hole's Black Report. Embarrassed, like. <laughs> Welcome back. How about if we run back the top uh, stories of today, just in case you are joining us. We go to California, where a man is in custody for assault, accused of shooting a black man who was renting an Airbnb as he was walking to the grocery store. 56-year-old Mark Waters, who is white, has been charged with felony assault with a semi-automatic firearm, resulting in great bodily injury and personal use of a firearm. Prosecutors say the 21-year-old victim had left uh, his Airbnb rental to walk to a nearby grocery store. That's when he crossed the street. He saw Waters exit a home and quickly approach him while holding a black handgun. The victim is recovering with serious injuries to his leg. Further charges may come as law enforcement is investigating potential hate crime allegations. Now to Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor's boyfriend is settling two lawsuits against the city of Louisville, uh, Louisville rather, in connection to Taylor's death. Attorneys for Kenneth Walker say the city agreed to pay $2 million to settle the lawsuits in March of 2020. You may remember police knocked down Taylor's door the night of the deadly raid and Walker fired a shotgun or fired uh, a shot, excuse me, from a handgun striking one of the officers. Walker was charged with attempted murder, but that charge was later dropped. And in Texas, the Republicans are laying the groundwork to move quickly on a number of new changes to the state's voting laws in including a proposal to create an election police force 
like the one in Florida enacted before the 22, uh, 2022 midterms. Now, one bill is the Republican-authored Texas bills, which uh, is uh, HB 549 and SB 220, that proposes creating a system of state election marshals who would investigate allegations of violations of election and voting laws and file criminal charges when warranted. And finally, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation launched a new relief fund Monday aimed at black college students, alumni and dropouts overburdened by mounting education costs and the student loan debt crisis. Now, the foundation said it set aside $500,000 for the fund and plans to award more than 500 recipients with relief payments ranging from $750 to $4,500. A public application process for the fund opened on Monday and recipients will receive their money in January if selected. Nikordali, back to you. Thank you, Courtney. Now off to Missouri, where the University of Missouri has been pushed into the controversial spotlight after a student's inflammatory and racist comments about black death began circulating online over the weekend. Now, the Kansas City Defender is reporting that students have demanded the expulsion of a classmate identified as Meg Miller when it was discovered that Miller snapped a photo of herself smiling along with the caption, quote, if they would have killed four more inwards, we would have had the whole week off. The racially insensitive remarks come weeks after three black football players were fatally wounded at the University of Virginia. Hmm. Okay, Kevin Durant and Charles Barkley are giving back to HBCUs. Durant announced Monday he is donating $500,000 to Bowie State University, Maryland's oldest historically black college. TNT Network NBA commentator and basketball Hall of Famer Charles Barkley also announced donations of $1 million each to uh, Bethune-Cookman and uh, Jackson State University. Now... Durant was born in the nation's capital and raised in the adjacent Prince George's County, where Bowie State is located. Let's keep on loving on our HBCUs mm -hmm. as we go to Texas, where Texas Southern University will use a new $350,000 grant to develop the first ever HBCU criminal justice research hub. The hub will study how to reduce incarceration and violent crime and hopes to be a resource for city leaders. The hub will also conduct a crime needs assessment of the city of Houston, create an action plan based on the assessment to provide solutions for the hub's focus, which is mass incarceration and violent crime. They will then share the results with other HBCUs across the country. Yale's president, Peter Salevi, announced this fellowship dedicated to helping New Haven public high school uh, students attend historically black colleges and universities. The announcement marks the first update to a comment, uh, excuse me, a commitment made by Salevi over a year ago at the Yale and Slavery Conference promising to connect Yale and New Haven with HBCUs. The Pennington Fellowship will be a competitive scholarship program which will send 10 to 12 high school seniors to college each year at HBCUs across the nation. The institutions include Hampton, Morehouse, Morgan State, and Spelman, a list which, according to the organizers of the fellowship, will soon expand. The scholarship will amount to $20,000 per year to cover uh, tuition and fees. When Ray Worthen first started the garden in his Florida neighborhood, 
It was full of trash and debris and the homeless who often slept there, but Worthen was determined to make the garden grow. His mission, making sure lower income residents have access to organic locally grown produce. Fox's Danielle Knox has the story. Welcome to Infinite Zion Farms. In the heart of Paramore sits a plot of land where hope grows. This whole side here is all collard greens. Come on over here, I'll show you the mustard greens, which some people like them, some, I'm, I'm a mustard green man myself. We harvest about 30 pounds of potatoes. This is some of our dry products, some of our rosemary, some mango leaves. People like some pasta to grow Concord grapes out here, and we harvest 60 pounds. We have uh, about 30,000 bees out here. The brains behind this urban garden is 39-year-old Ray Worthen, who buzzes just about as fast as the bees. Make me tired. <laughs> Make me tired, right? Let me tell you a story I heard. Now yes. You tell me if it's true. Okay, all right, all right. I heard you had no electricity. Yes, ma'am. No bathrooms. No. You had nothing. We had a party. We got a porta john. That was a party. That thing was literally a party. So we got there was literally nothing, nothing here. I can show you pictures. It was literally dead space. I, think I got the visual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's literally. No, we had to put in our own power poles. And Worthen actually slept here many nights to make this garden grow. His mission making sure Paramore residents have access to organic, locally grown produce. I went across the street, uh, right to, to, to the, to the uh, housing unit over there, mm -hmm. and I said, what do you all want to grow here? And then Miss Gladys said, babe, I need my collard greens. Miss Williams said, I need my mustard. And this garden really took hold on COVID-19. And the average income in this neighborhood is less than 20000 a year, like 17000 a year per person. Mm -hmm. And in that case, a lot, the only meal these kids ate were in school. But when there's no more school and school's out for a whole year, guess what? There's no more meals. And I have pictures of us handing out garbage bags, tall kitchen bags of produce to the community. And that's when people realize this garden is really here for us. And that's what get us gain us gain respect of the community in itself. What is it about this place that gives hope? Well, they do. I always tell people crime exists out of lack of opportunity and funding. And so 40% of this garden, everything you see here from the wood structure shed was built by the homeless right back in the cul-de-sac. And before we had a bathroom, I had to ask them where to use the bathroom because uh, I didn't know where to go. His commitment made him so respected here, residents and the homeless protect this space. And it's been dubbed the Emerald of Paramore. I call them my street pharmaceutical sales representatives. They help protect the garden as well. And they say, Ray, don't worry, worry about the garden. And that's the beauty of gaining respect. And then that's when I got the name, the Black Mama Farmer. They actually gave me that name because of my work ethic. Because I'm out here, you'll see a little headlamp. You know when I'm out here at nighttime, you'll see a little headlamp floating in, floating in the garden all night. Worthen is a fifth generation farmer. It's in his blood. His great-great-uncle, Julius July Perry, the Akoe farmer who was murdered by a white mob 100 years ago for defending the voting rights of black residents. Worthen sees this as a continuation of his relative's legacy and the Greek proverb that says, a society grows great when someone plants a tree whose shade they will never sit in. My hope for the future is that we were able to able to minimize food deserts. I feel like you never sell No, I, 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 it's, it's, it's just, like I said, for me, I, people ask me, Ray, why to push so hard? Because the other, my other passion is also for my family and my children. Because long after I'm gone, I want my children to have the same opportunity, respect, and name put on them. So when they realize, when you say, oh, that's Ray Waters that the Black Mama Farmer's that, they're like, oh, okay, respect. Respect, indeed. 
Worthen is a fifth generation farmer, and as you heard, it's in his blood. What Ooh. a great story. I what was already story. in there, then the, the, when they went back to the, was it the great grandpa? I was like, come on. Yeah, yeah. What a rich history. Uh, representing a long, a long generation uh, um, of mm -hmm. black farmers. That's right. I was really blown away at the fact that 40% of the garden was mm -hmm. built by the homeless. Yeah. Right, and, and so it, it, it forces us to, to practice some radical imagination mm -hmm. and rethink, mm -hmm. you know, the folks in our community that you know some some folks have given up on or or that they conceive may not have a lot of value to add to mm -hmm. community. When invited, when given the proper tools and support, look at what they what they were able to build yeah. together. And when you take this story and couple it with the one we ran yesterday about uh, the uh, uh, grocer in uh, New Orleans and and what he's doing to the community, and a few other stories, you can always go back. Uh, to our, our website and catch those uh, older stories. It's happening. Mm -hmm. It is happening. Reimagining, you know, how we're going to feed ourselves in the midst of these these deserts, uh, food deserts, as the as the government and the city politics and the counties as they figure that thing out. We're taking matters into our own hands, and we are making things happen as we often do. Yes, we have agency and we're not afraid to That's use right. it. This was really fantastic and it also made me hungry. Mustard greens, mustard collard, collard greens. Are you mustard or collard? All of the above. Really? Mm -hmm. I feel like collard can be a little bitter-y-ish, mm -hmm. so you really have to know what you're doing to cook it, but I was raised on mustard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mustard, collard greens. Yeah. Uh, they also mentioned some Concord grapes. Mm. Uh, and so uh, when we're in Florida, we'll have to stop by this community garden and, and well, see you, what they what they have well, you to know what harvest. I'm gonna do with the grapes, honey. Stomp on them <laughs> and, and, and make a little bubbly. Up next. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're going, they're going on, on tour. tour. Are they really? Yeah, and it's an <laughs> unlikely concert pairing. At least I thought it was. That's right. We're, we're going to tell you uh, the rapper and singer that's hitting the stage together again. <laughs> You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back. Former Blackish star Marsai Martin mm. urges fans to listen to their bodies in a recent Instagram post. Yeah, the 18-year-old shared details of her years-long journey to surgery to remove a large ovarian cyst in a black and white video of her in a hospital bed. The actress said, quote, the only reason I am sharing this is so I can hopefully spread awareness to the young women out there that may be going through the same thing or may have difficult uh, menstrual cycles. Now, this isn't the first time the actress has been vocal about taking care of her health. In May, she discussed dealing with depression and anxiety. We hope the best for her. She's absolutely gorgeous. All right. The trial focused on Tory Lane's alleged shooting of Megan the Stallion has begun and supporters of Megan are set to rally outside a courtroom in L.A. as she is set to testify. The Gathering for Justice, a nonprofit organization founded in 2005 by Harry Belafonte, is joining forces with women's advocacy groups and violence prevention organizations to voice their support for the Grammy-winning hip-hop star as she is expected to recount the events that led to the alleged shooting. Rapper Tory Lanez is accused of shooting Megan in the foot back in July of 2020 and faces new charge, a new charge of discharging a firearm in a grossly negligent manner. We'll keep you posted on this story.
The unofficial queen of Christmas strikes again. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You has returned to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. The song first released in 1994 landed in the top 10 for the first time in 2017. It reached the number one, uh, the number spot, the number one spot in 2019 for the first time and has found its way back every year since. Carrie's team aims to have the seasonal selection hold its position for three weeks straight, which would be a first as its longest run has been two consecutive weeks. <laughs> this is your favorite song, right? You love that song. Isn't that one of your favorite Christmas songs? It's like, <laughs> but after you hear it, like, the, I'm not dissing Mariah. I think yeah. this is a great feat. I think, you know, it definitely ushers in Christmas. Sometimes you uh -huh. just have those songs that rise above the others, and when you hear it, you know it's Christmas song. Mm -hmm. But then after you hear it for the 10,000th time, <laughs> and it's only December the, what's today's date? December the 13th. It's like, mmm. <laughs> Mm. So it's a little too much? Mm. Uh -huh. Sometimes, yeah, it can be. You know who I would, I would love to see a Christmas album from Janet Jackson. And in that Christmas album, okay. in that Christmas album, I, I, I doubt that there will be, you know, um, lots of guests featured nice. on there. Uh, but I would love to see her even do a song with her family because, you know, the Jackson 5, it's not Christmas unless you've heard a Jackson 5 Christmas song. And so I'd love to see Janet do her own Christmas song. Why are you laughing? I don't know. It's just funny to me. But OK. Janet Jackson, speaking of which, is hitting the road again uh, with a 33-city uh, tour. The five-time Grammy award-winning Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee announced the Together Again tour on IG Live. And she will not be alone. Atlanta rapper turned actor Ludacris will join her on tour starting uh, on uh, April the 14th. That's going to be in Hollywood, Florida. The R&B pipe, pipe, pop icon also revealed she's coming out with new music to celebrate Jackson's 50th anniversary in entertainment. Fans can expect Janet to highlight two of her critically acclaimed albums, The Velvet Rope, that's the last tour I went to, mm -hmm. and Janet on this tour. Amazing. Love her. Mm -hmm. Lots to love. I'm just saying, a Christmas album. Um, now off to rapper Snoop Dogg. Uh, Snoop Dogg and Master P, guess what? They're looking for a new name for their breakfast cereal, Snoop Loops. This is according to a post that was shared on Instagram. Now Snoop, whose real name is Calvin Brodus, and Master P, whose full name is Percy Miller, said the cereal's name was being blocked by another cereal company. Imagine that. Uh, while they did not name the brand, they both noted that the company was afraid of their mission to bring diversity to the industry. The rappers asked their fans to help them find a new name before the cereal officially hits shelves. Could you imagine fans giving the new names? <laughs> I oh can, my gosh. Oh, I can imagine it. Speaking of new names, Diddy's love life has been the topic of discussion lately, but a recent Twitter post shocked the world. The hip hop mogul announced the arrival of a new addition to his family, and fans wanted to know who's the mommy. Reports have identified 28 year old cybersecurity specialist Dana Tran as the mother to a baby girl who he named Love, or I don't know, maybe they named it together, Love Sean Combs, who was quietly born back in October. Diddy is already a father to six children, including son Quincy, 
who is 31, who he adopted when he was in a relationship with uh, the late uh, mother, his late mother, Kim Porter. That's who, uh, one of Diddy's exes. And then there's uh, five other. You've got the twins. You've got Justin. You got, it's a lot going on. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, were shocked because you see mostly right now this relationship with Carisha from, is it, did I say right, from... Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, my, the, gir the girls, you, you're not going to be able to help me out with this. <laughs> City girls, that's it. City uh -huh. girls. Uh -huh. And so you see that a lot. And she was claiming Diddy. And and then there's obviously uh, this new influencer from IG that I just saw him hand in hand yeah. with. I don't quite know who that is. And then the new mother of his child. So he is definitely getting it in at 50 some odd years old. I really thought that the, we just spoke of the late Kim Porter. I really thought that, you know, with that death being so devastating, at mm -hmm. least that's what he was sharing. I really thought that he'd come out on the other side and maybe want to solidify a relationship and really go hard and do what he wasn't able to do with Kim, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. will, and, and kind of like make good on those regrets. But um, he is, uh, he is getting it in. Well, he's clearly on the healing path uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, no more powerful demonstration of love, I suppose, than 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 having a baby having a kid, bringing a life into the world. Okay. Uh, but you know, naming the child love, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's that's new and mm -hmm. different. And so, you know, our congratulations to uh, Sean P. Diddy, Puffy, yeah, man. Combs, yeah. you know, for the newest addition to his family. Um, yeah. Some good news in that family. Mm -hmm. and the loss of Kim Porter, you know, really rippled across the industry and I'm sure it's been very difficult for the family and yeah, so congratulations to them. Still ahead in Black Excellence, uh, it's Black Excellence on national television. That's right, we'll introduce you to the young man who is making headlines for his record-breaking game show win. Coming up right here on Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, soulmates, Houston rapper Trey The Truth's philanthropic uh, giving has been well noted, and his latest act of kindness addresses incarcerated people who have no help. Now, he recently took to IG announcing that he will be selecting inmates across the nation and blessing them with money for their commissary. This initiative will be in support of his rapper's new single, Feel Like Water, and his new partnership with One RPM. In addition to his outstanding music career, he has tirelessly been an advocate for activism, not only in Houston, but also providing aid uh, for people in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Puerto Rico, and other areas affected by natural disasters. Trey's work has led uh, him to being referred to as Houston's hometown hero. And since uh, 2008, July 22, uh, 22nd, he's officially been recognized uh, that is recognized as Trey Day in uh, Houston. Trey Day yeah. in Houston. That's amazing. Well, I mean, and amazing for all the right reasons. I mean, what a really creative way to give back uh, to folks that are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of folks would have never thought, you know, mm -hmm. to, you know, put something on it. Mm -hmm. And you can go to his bio in his IG page and get all the information to nominate uh, an inmate. Moving on, Sharita Carter. Uh, an executive creator producer at Walt Disney who uh, leans into her passion every day to reimagine an iconic black story. That's right, Carter celebrating her 26th year 
at Walt Disney as the first black woman to hold the executive creative producer of Imagineering position. Imagine that, wow. Mm. She's leading the highly anticipated Princess and the Frog attraction called Tiana's Bayou Adventure, which is set to open in 2024 and picks up right where the film left off. Now, Carter and her team have been hard at work capturing the authentic spirit of the princess from the food, music, art, and the architecture of New Orleans. Carter says attraction strives to bring people together through recreating the timeless princess Tiana story. That is nice. I love it. I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, we, you know, we grew up in a time where, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't see no black princesses. That's right. We didn't see no black princes. You know, we didn't see, you know, the LGBTQ representation mm -hmm. in uh, Disney films. I mean, seeing a world that's more reflective, you know, of the communities that, that we're a part of, of the cultures that we're that's a part right. of. Uh, that's a big deal. You know, uh, you hear people say representation matters. That's right. It does, because seeing is believing. And, and we're seeing here. Seeing is believing. And if you can't see it, you can't be it. And if you can't be it, you can't achieve whatever it is you're reaching for. And folks are going to continue to see it, whether they support it or not. I can't, the young lady who's playing uh, the mermaid. I know a lot of people were upset, you know, that, you know, she was cast as such. But why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? And I heard one uh, Twitter uh, post that said, you know, all of all of the slaves that were cast into the ocean and you think a mermaid couldn't be black. I said, that did it for me. And that, that was the end of that argument for me. But it's here, it's, it's coming, and we're gonna continue to press forward with inclusion and representation, like you mentioned. That's right, that's right. Now, uh, Quincy Howard, a sophomore at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, made history when he won almost $70,000 on Wheel of Fortune after quickly guessing the correct answer in the bonus round. Yeah, Howard appeared on the show as a part of an ongoing College Week series and had taken the top spot, already winning $35,750 as he went on to the bonus round where he had to guess the puzzle from the people category. Dun dun. That you have you watch Will of Fortune? Right? I do. I do. Uh -huh. He had to he had to name this thing, give the answer within ten seconds. It didn't even take him long uh, for him to quickly give the answer, and was surprised when the prize he won was a Mini Cooper. He also won a total of uh, just about seventy thousand uh, dollars. He is an honor uh, graduate. Uh, from his high school and was uh, a valedictorian. He graduated uh, just last year. So congratulations to him. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. I just, you know, love a story of young people, you know, really just, you know, doing their Excelling. best and mm -hmm. raising the bar. And uh, we are really proud to see it. Yeah, and that whole, we you know, wrap this thing up with a black excellence bow. Um, just, you know, great insight on, on what folks of color are out here doing, especially in areas where you wouldn't think would be, who, who would think there'd be a sister with almost 30 years with Walt Disney who is helping to reimagine these stories that have, that have only been told and or shown in one way, and now we're seeing them in color, and I'm being real, real That's literal right. with that. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 if, and if the Walt Disney Company has the good sense to create a position like that, mm -hmm. you know, then imagine all of the other corporate executives that we'll are watching suit. this right now. Imagine yeah. what you can do, right? Mm -hmm. The new year is just around the corner. That's right. You can have your own chief of imagination. Yeah. Janet Jackson Christmas album. I just wanted to circle back uh -huh. around that. Who, who else would you want to see do a Christmas? I mean, we know Mariah runs it, you know, every Christmas. That's it's just it's just Mariah's world. Who else would you love to see? I'd love do to a see. Christmas I'd love to see Jill Scott, Jilly from Philly. I would oh. love to see her do a Christmas album. 
And maybe she could come right here to Foxhole's Black Report and <laughs> you perform for get, our soulmates. You always try to get somebody. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. Bring a lot of, if you're coming it. now, bring some coats and some hats and gloves and socks and that, shoes. That's right. That's yeah. right. I'm Nick Cordelide Corte. And I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, soulmates, stay, stay lifted. lifted. Janet Jackson. Jill Scott. Jilly from Philly. Doing a Christmas album. Christmas album. Let's Ooh, go. The Maxwell and Christmas album. I don't know that he's done one.